Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Selling smoothies is what I do, but for small business insurance, I chose my state farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here, as always, with Drew Dinsick. We're recording Thursday afternoon. Uh, we're going to talk today about some injury news in the NFL with Brock Purdy, Deshaun Watson, Ryan Tannehill, all under various clouds. We'll talk about Sunday Night Football blockbuster, Bears Chargers, our best bets in the NFL, and then some uh, NBA Six Man of the Year. It's uh, mm-hmm. a little off-speed pitch to close out. But let's start with Brock Purdy, uh, my man, a champion of this podcast. Uh, he's concussed against the Vikings and duly uh, post-concussion, two of six for two interceptions after looking... Uh, amazing up until he was hit on that sneak. You're lower on the sneak, Brock, as well. He didn't seem very good at sneaking the ball. Uh, he can do some work on that. But the line has moved from five and a half to three and a half. Now, Purdy participated in practice on Thursday. He looked okay. Shanahan uh, was, am- I guess he was ambiguous about Purdy's status overall. Uh, one, do you think that Purdy will go? Uh, and two, do you th- what kind of line movement do you think is fair from Purdy to Donald? Whew. These are tough questions, Jay, but that's why they pay us the big bucks. Let's uh, let's start with the first question. Shanahan, for what it's worth, uh, seems to have little regard for Purdy's long-term well-being and needs him out there. <laughs> it is a weird romance between these two uh and so i think shanahan's not the kind of guy who's literally going to look at the schedule and be like well you know let's give him the week off let's get him right for later in the season i think he's going to push to get him out there and i don't know to what degree the head coach can really influence the independent neurologist that has been staffed for the niners but there is precedent for niners independent neurologist to clear a guy week of concussion protocol now that did happen when you had a full week as opposed to a short week uh and you know when my initial reaction seeing uh the news that this was discovered after the game on the flight home home so basically tuesday morning uh, i was like i just don't know that there's possibly enough time to go through all the steps but if they haven't ruled him out then they are pointing him to play (laughs) and so i think ultimately this is probably going to be uh you know brock purdy and you know i think his you know his performance after the concussion in the game maybe bears some scrutiny I mean, pretty clearly, you've seen a lot of quarterbacks try to play through head injuries in games. Tua, notably last year, maybe Kenny Pickett this year against the Niners. Like, there's been a couple of like quarterbacks getting hit hard and then not really performing well in game. And so, I do wonder about the way he closed that game and if he was, uh, you know, in perfect health, if he's a little bit sharper against the Vikings. Um, but I guess the question is. The, the downgrade between Purdy and um, uh, to Sam Darnold. 
two two and a half points, I think, is a reasonable uh, number. And if you want to err on the side of two and a half because Trent Williams is hurt, because Debo Samuel won't be out there, I'm fine with that. Like, this is not an ideal situation to end. Oh, and because it's a short week. So Sam Darnold's not getting the, a lot of, you know, 100% of the first team reps. He's not he's not having a lot of time to really prepare for this game. I think it's fine to kind of err on the this is going to go to three if it's Darnold. Ultimately, I think three and a half is telling you that there is some sentiment that this might be pretty. And um, I, either way, I'm underwater on this one, Jay. <laughs> so because my handicap was this is a bounce back spot for the Niners defense. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's this is a this is a tough call. Uh, I do like in general. uh if the Niners are out there, uh, I think the Niners' first half is going to be a fun bet because that'll be under three for sure uh, if Purdy's out there. And I think uh, uh, ultimately the Niners can put some scoreboard pressure on the Bengals here and, and win, win this game still. Just a question of how much. Yeah. In terms of Purdy's performance, I mean, I think he looked noticeably different after the concussion. And, yeah. you know, this is kind of hindsight bias and speculating. But even as it was happening in real time, as he was driving them down the field, he didn't look like he was all there. Like he was like staring off into space. Like I don't think he was right. Uh, and I thought at the time, well, maybe he's just nervous in this spot. Why are you nervous? It's the Vikings. You just did this last week against Cleveland and you did the job and got the team into field goal range. So he didn't look right. It was kind of reminiscent of uh, what a two or throw three picks against the Packers in that yeah. game in the last season where it's like, what are yeah. you even seeing here? Yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of Anthony Rizzo-esque of going from, yeah, all-star to not being able to hit the ball for a month. So I would guess that that's probably something to do with his performance. We'll see if he's right to go. I've seen some chatter on Twitter about how, uh, look, Brock Purdy, look, he's only worth two, two and a half points of the line. He's no good. Like Sam Donald's one of the that's, better backups in football. I think that's the market that's respecting Brock Purdy, if anything. Yeah. I think that's perfectly reasonable. If you go... If you're two and a half points better than Sam Darnold, that means I think you're a pretty reasonable quarterback. Uh, and no one thinks that Purdy is Mahomes or Josh Allen or Lamar. No one's ever said that. It's just that he's a good, solid quarterback. And uh, certainly uh, his reputation in the market has made big strides since uh, his debut last season. So we'll see. I mean, I'm almost more interested in this game, but looking at what the Niners' defense looks like and if they can yeah. get a pass rush and not going up against Christian Darrisaw anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I think the, the, the Niners offense will be fine. Whoever is at quarterback, obviously it should be better with Purdy. But the real swing point for the Niners, I think, in terms of their outlook for the season is more about that defense and whether they can generate pressure outside of Nick Bosa, which they haven't really been able to do with Amenahu and Ebercam and these guys out. So we will yeah. see you there. I will say this, Jay, as betters, over the balance of this season, what benefits us the most is if... Purdy does not play. Darnold goes out there and lights up the Bengals. <laughs> that would be delightful because anything to kind of keep public, you know, impressions to keep you know people from not believing in Purdy, I think ultimately keeps the Niners' price down for as long as possible. And if you have more games where they're going up, you know, in good situations, in good mat, getting good matchups up against the likes of like at Philly, for instance, uh, December third, um, you know, hosting the the Ravens, uh, you know, on Christmas Day. Oh my gosh, 
we get Niners Ravens on Christmas Day. What a gift. Um, you know, that those going into those games, if people are doubting Purdy because they're like, well, it's, it was, it's all system. See how good Sam Darnold did. Like, I think that that generally keeps a, a little bit of a, a price suppression on the Niners overall, which uh, I think benefits us. Yeah. And it's my, my big thing at the moment, Drew. All these guys are the same. Purdy, Dak, <laughs> Eric Goff, Kirk Cousins, yeah. uh, Geno Smith, maybe a little bit worse. They're all variations of the same yeah. quarterback. And They're all chat GPT-generated quarterbacks. Yep. Yeah. In, indeed. Okay. Uh, quickly, Brown Seahawks. Deshaun Watson is not going to play. The line is Seahawks minus four, which shows the market respect, I think, for the Browns' defense still, notwithstanding giving up 38 points to Gardner Minshew. Do you think this move is fair or should it be bigger? I think it should be bigger. <clears throat> and it's not because of Deshaun Watson. It's because the Browns don't have a healthy running back, Jay. <laughs> this is a team that is built around their rushing attack, and both Jerome Ford and and uh, Kareem Hunt are not practicing for these guys. You know, like they Pierre are, uh, I, No. Okay. <laughs> I like no. Pierre. Okay, if you're going to give me Pierre Strong against uh, like a truly questionable rushing defense, like, oh, we'll say, like the 2021 Chargers, right? Okay, go get them, guys. Like, you're going to be fine. Right. The Seahawks rush defense is very, very good. Like these guys are super, super stout against the run. And I think the the Browns are in trouble here. Uh, the current team total floating around 19 points. Really? Uh, uh, OK, <laughs> I'm not seeing it. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow at home couldn't get uh, to 20 points against the Seahawks defense. And now the P.J. Walker on the road is going to do it. I don't think so. Uh, PJ Walker may be a little bit more of a opportunity for the Seahawks to score on with short fields or to get a defensive touchdown. Um, but I think uh, this number moving out to four is it's not reflecting everything that's going on correctly. It's uh, only kind of keyed on the the change from Watson to Walker, which is a downgrade, um, but is not the entire story. Um, if the Browns score double digits here, I think they deserve a pat on the back for their scheming this week. I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, they just don't match up well with this, uh, um, with the Seahawks defense at all in terms of their plan a and where the Seahawks are the strongest. So this looks like trouble. Yeah, we'll say. I mean, they did score 19 against the 49ers. They scored 39 against the Colts. And I understand Miles Garrett was a big part of that. But still, this team does seem to manufacture scoring opportunities with just chucking it up to Amari Cooper and what they've been able to do on the ground. But I agree. I, my concern about this back in Seahawks would be that I think there's a material chance that Garrett and Co. just wreck Seattle's offensive line, uh, and that's the defining matchup. Because this is not a great offensive line, and it is that's a great possible. Yeah, line that's possible. So that would be my concern. Uh, let's talk about Will Levis uh, before we get on to Sunday Night Football. Falcons three point favorites at the Titans. Uh, Mike Vrabel, very uh, animated, uh, kind of condescending uh, interview where he's talking about the strategy uh, for using the two quarterbacks. The total in this game is 35 and a half. Uh, do you think that Desmond Ritter warrants being a three-point favorite on the road uh, against Mr. Levis? I do, but I'm nervous about this one because there's pretty clearly some two-way action here. Uh, this could have gotten, you know, pretty... Yeah, I think if this crossed three and was three and a half right now, then I would say, yes, okay. 
this is a, this is a fair read. Nobody disagrees. Um, but there's pretty clearly someone who still believes in the Titans, which I, I can't possibly make a case for Tennessee in this game. Um, the underlying issues that I see with their franchise vision are clear as day. The idea that you are you you spent money in this offseason to go get guys who are now relatively superfluous. Uh, signing Deshaun Watson really makes no sense now in hindsight. Uh, and you got no look at Will Levis in the preseason. He's gotten no first-team reps in practice to this point in the cycle until this week when you decided to go with Levis over Willis. Now, in the long arc of things, is that right? Absolutely. Like you need to pivot now into evaluating the pieces on your roster and figuring out if you are willing to build with these guys into the future. And you have no tape on Will Levis, so start getting some. Like I completely get that. But they didn't get to practice last week because of the bye, and they didn't make the move until Monday. So Levis is uh, as raw a quarterback as you could possibly put into this situation, albeit he does have more draft pedigree than a guy like T-Bag last week. So maybe he does come out in surprise, but I really don't see how it happens when he's behind an offensive line that has huge pass protection issues. He has a running game that's complementing him that has yet to get anything going on the ground, and he's going up against a Falcons defense that's performing at a top 10 level pretty consistently week in, week out. Um, the idea that Levis isn't going to find his way into some unfortunate turnovers here, I, I'm okay. Like if he does, it's because he's only throwing the ball 15 times. Um, you know that that he avoids it. Uh, you know the key pick here. Um, so I feel like the Titans are drawing dead. I'm not sure what I'm missing in this handicap here. I, you know, Ritter up against a very good defense maybe is the you know the, what I'm not paying attention to maybe the Titans defense and just the field position battles and a couple special teams, you know, they have the better kicker. Maybe I, I'm, I'm reaching, I'm reaching here to find any reason why anyone thinks that the Titans are live in this spot, because what hasn't been said out loud is shipping. Kevin Bayard is a massive locker room morale, you know, energy changer. The immediate reaction from players on that team was like, what, huh? Kevin, what? Like, if people know he's an all-pro and he's the anchor of that secondary, and you send him to Philadelphia, and it's literally like, okay, I guess that's the sign we're we're you know we're putting the white flag up on the season, and you know people were unhappy, and uh, you know it's it's troubling to try to deal with uh, you know a franchise uh, you know on, on the fly like that, and um, you know I think they're in a really really bad spot this week. Uh, I hope Will Levis ultimately settles into the role and performs well down the stretch. My guess is he is the guy going forward for the duration. Um, but this idea that you're going to alternate quarterbacks, what? Really? Two quarterbacks? You, you know the saying, Jay. If you yeah. have two quarterbacks, you have none. Uh, and, but, but even besides that, like, explain to me what competitive advantage it gives you to take Levis out and put Wilson from drive to drive. Tell me what competitive advantage it gives you to try to win if ultimately your goal as a franchise right now should be evaluate these players. So, like, putting all the pieces, puzzle pieces on the table, I just, I still can't really figure out what they're trying to do here. And the Vrabel presser was just like the icing on the cake. Like, does this guy know what he's, what he's doing? I, I really can't say. 
He looks ready to coach the Commanders in uh, 2024. <laughs> like uh, the two-quarterback thing worked well for Matt Saracen and J.D. McCoy in, I want to say, season three of Friday Night Lights, but that <laughs> never really been a thing. Uh, oh, well, 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 Urban Meyer in 2006 won a national championship going back and forth between, uh, I can't remember, and Tim Tebow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we do have some prize in uh, in real life. Uh, I, I don't really know what to do with this game, but I agree. I'd much rather be on the Falcons. I mean, it's two and a half some spots. I am also uh, over. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking over on Bijan Robinson rushing yards at 48 and a half, and the alternates around that has been 20 yards higher than that previously. And I think that last week was just a write off. I don't really understand what happened, but. I don't think Bijan is going to be a decoy going forward. And this Titans run defense isn't what it was last year. It's still a good unit, but it's merely above average, not all world. All right, let's uh, get to Bears charges. It is an interconference clash on Sunday night when DJ Moore and the Chicago Bears traveled to Southern California to battle Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Get ready for kickoff when coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on NBC and Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Pick me! Pick me! Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Chargers eight and a half point favorites. Uh, the total is 46 and a half. Not an amazing game uh, for our, our beloved NBC to have as the Sunday night matchup, but Justin Herbert, always a good watch. What are you betting on in this game? Yeah, I haven't made a bet in this game yet. Let's see if we can find something though. So the kind of major takeaways and, I, you know, you can you can ask some serious questions about why I would do this to myself, but I watched the Bears Raiders tape, Jay. <laughs> I watched it. <laughs> it was it was about as terrible as it sounds. Um, the fundamental, uh, I guess, let's give some flowers. The Bears went into that game knowing that they had a huge issue with the quarterback position. And rather than try to max protect him and run the ball a hundred times and really just kind of like throw the white flag and can, you know, just give away the game, they constructed a game plan that utilized an extremely short average depth of target for, uh, for Tyson. And it was effective. Um, he wasn't spectacular, but he was fine because they asked him to do relatively simple stuff. And I think a lot of other teams that have young quarterbacks could learn from that and mix in a little bit more of that for their players. We saw Bill O'Brien do it with Mac Jones last week as well. Um, But the degree to which this was on display for Tyson and the Bears was unbelievable. Uh, Would it surprise you to know 
that going back to 2017, when Pro Football Reference started doing advanced tracking of uh, depth of target and air yards, that Tyson Tyson Badgins' air yards per attempt was the lowest on record. I mean, it was, it was 2.0, right? 2.0. <laughs> 2.0. That's yeah. almost impossible. Uh, and because, you know, one 10 yard throw, you know how many one yard throws you have to have to make up for that, Jay? It's a lot. <laughs> and so it's, it, you, it's, it's pretty unusual and outrageous to, to come up with that game plan. They did it. It was relatively successful. And now you got to take that same kind of plan on the road against the Chargers, who it's a defense you can't trust. It's uh, an environment that, if it was not SoFi, would potentially be um, a little bit more spooky to take a, a, an untested rookie into. Um, but I think it's fair to assume that there'll be decent fan support for the Bears in there. I think it's fa- fair to assume a lot of Bears fans preseason kind of circled this on their calendar and said, hey, we're going to L.A. We're going to go watch our Bears. It's going to be a fun little fall weekend. So an 80-20 split of Bears to Chargers fans in SoFi on Sunday night is not out of the question at all. Uh, and I think uh, just in general, the Bears being somehow, some way live in this game is not out of the question at all. Um, the key angle that I'd like you to tell me if I'm insane about or not the Bears defense has gotten healthier and they've been playing better. <laughs> Can they put a lid on the Chargers scoring and keep the Bears within 10 points? It's That's kind of where you have to be right now mentally, I think, to make a bet on this game is just how do I feel about the Bears defense as currently constituted? The side in total implies we're going to get something like a 27 to 17 type of game. It's been tough for the Chargers to get to 28 points, Jay. I don't think you have to go too much deeper than that. And so, I, you know, I'm leaning towards Bears. I'm leaning towards under. But, uh, uh, boy, is this was, this is a really hard handicap with, uh, with the unknown at quarterback for Chicago. Yeah. I mean, I like Jalen Johnson at corner for the Bears. He's the number yeah, two. Yeah, sure. Cornerback uh, by Pitt. They've had some Pitt. okay linebacker play. Yeah, sure. Yeah, with, uh, yeah, with TJ Edwards and co. Uh, I mean, there's not much there in the secondary outside of Jalen Johnson's the issue. And I think the thing with the Chargers is that Justin Herbert has left, like literally has left uh, like 200 yards and three touchdowns on the yeah. table. But it was just specifically Keenan Allen in the past yeah. two games. It's absolutely insane. Missed him for a 70-yarder against the Cowboys. Missed him for another touchdown. Missed him in the end zone against Kansas City. Like Keenan Allen, if Herbert just connects on like four throws that are like 95th percentile easy throws for Justin mm-hmm. Herbert, then Keenan Allen is like second, he's like third favorite for offensive player of the year and he's got insane stats. Uh, but Herbert has missed him and I think that is not as much bad luck as there's just Herbert just doesn't seem right at the moment. I'm not sure if he's favoring uh, his fractured finger or what's going on there. But I think one sneaky thing with the Chargers is that for years and years, and you referenced their 2021 rush defense, they've not been able to stop the run. And they brought in guys like Sebastian Joseph Day to beef up the interior. And now all of a sudden, with everything else going wrong for the team, their run defense is awesome. 
Uh, and I think that that's going to be a problem because I think that uh, Tyson Bajant is going to have to throw the ball. I yeah, think Deontay okay. Foreman, whose rushing yards prop is set around 50, that's too high in my opinion. I think he only played 48% of the snaps last week and now Roshan Johnson is coming back. And I think that's going to be more of a timeshare. It's a timeshare when you're an eight-and-a-half-point dog against a really good rushing defense on the road. Uh, I don't think you should be set at 50 yards for that. So... I uh, I'm a bit worried about the Bears and their ability to score in this one, unless DJ Moore is taking screen passes to the house, uh, which he may well do. All right, let's uh, get to our favorite Week Eight bets. But first, a reminder: Saturday, October 28th at 11 a.m. Eastern, Vaughn Dalzell, Brad Thomas, and Eric Froton are answering your college football betting questions for Week Nine including a Pac-12 clash when Bo Nix and number eight ranked Oregon head to Salt Lake City to face Utah. They'll also discuss and touch on number three ranked Ohio State heading to Camp Randall for a battle with Wisconsin. All right, what's your best bet for week eight, Drew? Okay, I'm going with the New Orleans Saints here. Uh, this is flipped to New Orleans favored. I think there's still meat on the bone there as long as this stays under three. Um, there is... A weird sort of disconnect between the discourse about Gardner Minshew and what I am seeing in terms of his quality of play as the full-time starter. He's terrible. He's terrible. <laughs> and not just terrible, but like dying to turn the ball over. Dying. And it that's fine if you're going up against a defense that is not well-coordinated, not well-coached, or just in general having a bad day tackling, which is the case last week with the you know the Browns giving up just an absurd uh, amount of yards after the catch that was very uncharacteristic of their usually solid tackling. Um, and you come into this game against the Saints, and the Saints are you know relatively healthy here, uh, particularly on defense, uh, and I think they match up very well with Lattimore taking Pittman out of the equation and the Saints' defense and Demario Davis taking the Colts' running game out of the equation, which I think is going to put a lot of pressure on Gardner Minshew to try to be a hero, and when he gets into that mode, he is a walking turnover. Uh, so the Saints being able to get some short fields, being able to get a positive game state and play from ahead, I think is a very realistic outcome, uh, and and the Saints offense, for what it's worth, like they are hurting themselves with some of their scheme decisions. They are hurting themselves with some of their sequencing. They are giving it away when they are under center and it is first down. There is a very predictable nature to them choosing to run the ball and they are getting absolutely no success in those spots, which is conceding downs. That said, in a negative game, say, let's just pretend we're way, that I'm way off base here and the Colts get out to a healthy lead and they are just in good shape, up, up, up 10 points uh, at home. Everything's going swell. The Saints, when they get into comeback mode and they are aggressive, are outstanding. Like they are super, super able to hurt you downfield with precision passing uh, to game breaking speed in the form of Chris Olave and uh, and Rashid and you know even Michael Thomas, who apparently still has it. So it's pretty clear to me that whether the Saints are playing from ahead or whether they're in comeback mode, they are live in this game. Uh, and I think just in general, Colts secondary can be picked on with precision passing. And uh, honestly, hat tip to the Saints figuring out their offensive line. Uh, they had both tackles out against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Bring a guy up from the practice squad. He was great. 
uh, move a guy, move Pete to left tackle. He was great. Uh, so, you know, just in general, I think the Saints are figuring some things out in terms of pass protection, giving Derek Carr time and uh, Carr with these weapons, I think, is going to really put a hurting on the Colts. So uh, Saints, to me, I think should be closer to three point favorites. So anything under that number is a bet and they are my favorite play of the week. Yes, let us hope that Chris Olave uses his game-breaking speed on the football field <laughs> and uh, not on the road in 35-mile-per-hour uh, zones. Uh, no, I'm with you. I think the Saints uh, randomly are the most underrated team in the NFL as well as the most uninspiring. Uh, but I do think they will beat the Colts. Uh, Gardner Minshew has eight turnovers in two weeks. It's not great. It, uh, it, Jay. He's terrible. It, it, could, it, could be, it could be like 13. Yeah, I, I mean, seriously, there were some that came off with penalties. There were some that like hit guys square in the hands. Like it could be a, an absolutely absurd number. He was awful as well against the Saints last year when he filled in uh, playing That's for the call. Eagles when Hertz was down. Uh, I, th- I remember th- because there was this idea going into the last season that oh, Gardner Minshew is actually one of the better backup quarterbacks. And then I watched the game against the Saints last year where he was 18 for 32, touchdown pick, took six sacks. He's just not. He's not particularly good, Gardner Minshew. He cost uh, us. Uh, he cost me at least. Nick Sirianni, coach of the year, twenty to one, went down in flames because Gardner Minshew lost that game. Yep. No, indeed. Okay. Well, Gardner Minshew is not very good, but Travis Etienne is. Drew. He is my best bet of the week. Over sixty-one and a half rushing yards at the Pittsburgh Steelers. This line is just wrong. It's just completely wrong. Travis Etienne <laughs> leads the NFL in rushing attempts. He's number one. There's no one in front of him. He is number one. He's only averaging 4.0 yards per carry, which I think is under what he's going to average the rest of the way. He's averaging 72 rushing yards per game. They're two and a half point favorites. The line is trending towards three, and the Steelers have the fifth worst rushing defense in football. Like, what am I missing here? How is he 61 and a half? This line should should be 10 yards higher minimum. Uh, I don't understand it at all. The concerns around Tank Bigsby cutting into his work before the season well, it clearly hasn't materialized. He leads the NFL in rushing attempts. So there's some danger that he gets vultured for touchdowns at the goal line. But for our purposes and covering 61 and a half rushing yards, uh, doesn't really matter. So I think ETN, uh, I think this number is just way, way off and he will go over this one. And I like the alternates as well around this one, Drew. Yeah. Last time uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers faced a dynamic uh, runner. It was Christian McCaffrey, and they conceded 152 yards. Yeah, and they had and they had Cam Hayward on the field. <laughs> yep, indeed. Okay, uh, before we get to six man of the year, a reminder: basketball season is here, but there's still time to squeeze in your fantasy drafts. Get the Roto World Basketball Draft Guide, which includes all the rankings, player outlooks, and projections you need to win your league. Go to NBCSports.com to get your draft guide now and use code PRESEASON25 to save 25% off and receive a $10 Fanatics E gift card. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. (sighs) Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango, it's your ticket to the movies. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Under- 
And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. All right, Sixth Man of the Year, an award close to my heart, though it pains me to say that Emmanuel Quickly is the favourite at plus 550. Norm Powell, 9-1, to one. Uh, Malik Monk, 12-1, to one. Malcolm Brogdon, 14-1. to one. He's not going to win this year. Sorry, Malcolm. Uh, Chris Paul, 16-1, to one, who was a starter at the moment. Cam Thomas, who scored 90 points last night. Uh, <laughs> and then you get into the Boston Celtics, uh, Derek White, Drew Holiday, who are both starting currently. Uh, very early, but do you have any read on this market, anyone you like? Uh, so... Just kind of approximating here, I think I've spent about three hours of my life trying to figure this award out, and I'm not going to get those three hours of my life back. Um, This is a really, 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 really tough one. You typically need a a player on a team who is going to win games. Stop there. Okay? If you are looking at six men who are scoring, but they're on sub-500 teams, they're not winning. Like you literally need to go to the top of the pile and look at who is going to give you counting stats on teams that are excellent. And so I think that rubric kind of narrows this down to, uh, you know, the, a lot of the names you mentioned. Um, I thought that the Hawks were going to be better this year. I thought Bogdan Bogdanovich was going to be their bench heat, so to speak, in terms of offense and uh, maybe even close. Uh, some of these games, like a la Tyler Hero. So I bet him at 22 to 1. I've already you know, figuring out what else I'm going to do with that ticket because I'm not cashing it. Um, And I don't know exactly what the Hawks are going to do in terms of who they should be starting. Like, they're they're an absolute mess in terms of roles, responsibilities right now. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and put a line through that one. Um, Anyone uh, that you think can, you know, I mean, Norm Powell stands out, I guess, at 9-1 to just because I think he's still going to be the guy off the bench, even if they do make a couple of moves. I don't think they're moving off of Powell with the Clippers. And, um, you know, I don't have a ton of exposure to the Clippers being an amazing team this year. So why not Norm Powell, six man of the year? I mean, that feels like a real, real chumpy play. So I'll listen to your <laughs> your thoughts on this. <laughs> I mean, I know there's a lot of guys in this market like, Norm Powell and Malik Monk and Bobby Porter. So it's like, yeah, yeah. maybe, like maybe those guys, I think there are worlds where all those guys can win. Sure. I don't mind Bogdan as well. I think Bogdan, I think that team will be better than it showed against Charlotte. And Bogdan, he's just a really good player. Like he's one of the five best players in the league who comes off the bench. So I bet on Bogdan as well at 25 to 1. And I don't feel amazing about it. I worry a bit about his usage. He played 24 minutes night one, which probably isn't going to be enough. Right. Nor how was it like Bones Island was their guy off the bench night one. I think if they trade for Harden, if Russell Westbrook moves to the bench, all of a sudden we're back into the Russ sixth man of the year life where I think he would actually be a reasonable candidate this season if, if that happens. Uh, the main thing I would say about this is that I'm just fading the top of the market. I don't think Monk is going to get the minutes. I think uh, Emmanuel quickly. So quickly against the Celtics, he played a 10 out of 10 game, like a 100th percentile Emmanuel quickly game. He was yes. immense. He was the best player on the court for stretches. Agreed. And he played 28 minutes. And there are going to be nights where he's not, where the shot isn't falling, and they're just going to close. Like for him to win six man of the year, he has to consistently close over two of the three 
of Hart, Grimes, and Barrett because Brunson is locked in, Randall is locked in, and a center, be it Robinson or Hartenstein, is locked in. So quickly has to be closing over two of those other three guys. Otherwise, he's going to be 24, 23 minutes a night mm-hmm. in that rotation. I think Josh Hart is going to close more often than he does because I think Josh Hart's probably a little bit better. Uh, so I would be a bit worried about quickly there. Certainly he can win, but no interest at the current price. Cam Thomas. Uh, Insanity. Yeah, he's... The, the way that he would win is if the Brooklyn Nets are a top six seed and he averages 20-plus a game. Like, the bar is so high if you're not an elite team. So no real interest in him, no interest in any of the Celtics because I think White and Holiday were the two guys that would win and they're both starting. It's always made more sense for Horford to come off the bench. and I don't think Horford is going to have the counting stats. There's a lot of gunner types who do win this award, but I just don't think their teams are good enough. Guys like Gary Trent Jr. and Buddy Heal, they may have the stat lines that could win, but I don't think those teams are going to be top three, four seeds. Trent, the Raptors are interesting. There are worlds where the Raptors could be the four seed, and Trent in that case becomes interesting, but I don't know. He's not super appealing. To me, Drew, and we'll sign off on this, to me, the most interesting guy in this market is Jonathan Kaminga. Uh, Kaminga's usage was off the charts in the preseason. Uh, his true, I mean, a small sample, but his true shooting percentage was amazing. His year three, he was the seventh pick in the draft. Jordan Poole has vacated all this usage on that team, and Chris Paul is not a high usage player to soak that up. They kind of need Kaminga. They closed with Kaminga over Andrew Wiggins uh, on night one. Uh, he played. He got in foul trouble in the first quarter, but then in the second quarter, uh, in the second half, he played 15 minutes. So if he's playing 28 plus minutes a game, taking a lot of shots with high usage and is relatively efficient, and the Warriors are certainly a team that could absolutely be a top three, four seed. Uh, I don't love the Warriors in the regular season, but they certainly have that in them. So to me, Kaminga, who is still in like the 40 to one range. Uh, I think that's that's way too big. What do you think? Uh, that's a super interesting call. Um, do you think he shares the floor with Draymond Green much when he comes back? Potentially. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do because we just need to see what the rotation looks like when Paul mm-hmm. uh, is presumably off the bench, I guess, when Draymond comes back and they just start last year's fight. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of uncertainty there. That's why I'm not as interested in Chris Paul with the uncertainty at 16 to 1. I'd rather get involved with Kaminga at mm-hmm. you know, much more than that price, when, yeah. more than double that price when I think he's going to average more points. I uh, guess my goal. final thoughts on this market are there – there were there were so many suboptimal lineup decisions in game one <laughs> across the NBA that I would almost say we let a for first month of the season play out, let somebody rise, you know, let the market kind of rise to who, you know, who's performing well counting stat-wise, and then just fade, fade, fade. Because there's gonna be some guys who's roles are surprisingly good on the bench who are going to ultimately get too many starts because it's going to turn out, oh, they need to be starters. I can think of like five off the top of my head who had good good performance. Jalen Johnson, great example. Like He was incredible for the Hawks off the bench. And I and people probably looked at that and they're like, man, if he's going to do that every night, I got to get some Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson should be starting. Like that might that might happen in December, right? Like it's not crazy. And so that kind of sentiment around some of these players, I think is going to keep 
me from really getting seriously involved in this one until December. And maybe once Draymond Green is back and we see what the roles are between Kaminga and, and Green, it's unlikely that he runs away with this between now and then. Like it's going to take people a little while to come around on that. So if I miss 40 to 1 and end up having to bet into 20 to 1 because I'm a little late to the party, but I know a little bit better how those two guys are going to dance, then uh, I'm fine with that. Yep, yep. No, I think that's fair. He would be the guy in this market, though, where I'm checking the box score each night uh, because he's absolutely someone who can win the award. I think the main approach with this market is just to fade the top of it. Like Malik Monk played 23 minutes last night and he didn't – I don't really understand why, but he didn't play that much last season either. Like he was – last season in terms of his per-game average, he was – I mean, he was 22 minutes a game last year, Malik Monk. Like they just don't like to play him. Um, as much as you might think they would. And then quickly we talked about the rotation there. Like Malcolm Brogdon just plays on a team that's going to win 24 games. Like if Malcolm Brogdon gets traded this week to the Clippers or something, that's the only yeah. way you're going to win the award. Uh, so this is... I got, I got one, one crazy one for you. Mm. He hadn't played yet. So don't really know what to expect. But uh, Raymond off the bench. D'Anthony uh, Melton? No, I just don't think he's going to get the counting stats. The okay. guy I think who was interesting on Philly is Kelly Oubre, who's Ooh, like 50 okay. to 1. And, I mean, he averaged 20 points per game in the NBA last year, and he's coming off the bench for a team that's a very good chance to get a top four seed. So I just don't think he can be 50 to 1 in this field when those sentences exist and are true. Uh, so Kelly Oubre is another one uh, to watch, I think. All right, we'll talk about that market uh, at length throughout the season, no doubt. But for now, don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks to those watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. A reminder also to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports from Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick. Good luck this weekend, and we will talk to you next week.